0: Abba Yahweh, thank you for this day and sharing with my brothers and sisters and anyone who would have an ear and that you have graced me with yet another opportunity to be in your treasury, Father God, to share this word, to share this truth, your truth. Thank you, Father. Abba Yahweh, aman. Yeshua aman, paraklitos aman. So I'm going to share a couple Things here with you right quick before I get into the word and things that were taught so um, I want to just remind you uh, of some things that I've, I've shared with you before and that um, I just want to have you remember and and it's an important thing is that we remember our pastors and I know there's some things going on with mine because I could feel it um, in church yesterday I felt it um, but here's something here from, in, in one of my readings, I shared this thing, John Calvin, who is a, uh, a pastoral leader and um, a very great man, actually, and had a lot of things. But um, what he shares is that he often battled discouragement. And uh, he shared once, he said that he's entangled in so many troublesome affairs that he's almost beside himself. Go back to the book of Psalms. Read the book of Psalms. You see the things that go on with David constantly. Most of all those things, except the physical warfare and battles when he was, had kingdoms that were coming against him to fight him, so much of what was going on was in his mind. It doesn't matter what you think your intellectual prowess is or how lofty you think that your brain is. The devil knows that it's the weakest point of attack for anyone, even ministers of the church, they come in and it, he sends his minions to assault that weak link, and that or the chink in the armor, as you might call it, is the is the mind, your mindset, and gets you distracted, discouraged, and, you, and then you start second-guessing things that go on. And one of his favorite things is mammalian validation. Start to second guess, validation of man as opposed to the validation of God, which is greater. So you start worrying, am I gonna, are they going to, is he gonna, is she gonna? Pastors go through so much. They attend funerals, they oversee funerals, they do the service at the burials, they do christenings, they do all these things. They go to the hospital when people call them, their loved ones are dying right before their very eyes. And they call the minister and he comes to, to pray over and to pray the person through into salvation. Maybe they haven't accepted the Lord all their life. And then they're dying and they want to accept the Lord before they die. He comes to take care of this. And there's another pastor, John Stott, who exclaimed that discouragement is the occupational hazard of Christian ministry. In the military, you go to other parts of the world you get shot at, people trying to blow you up. That's the occupational hazard of being in the military. Of course, so many people don't accept the fact that veterans are, I well, don't want to get on that kick because I had to put me on a soapbox. But people, people on this plane of existence overlook things that others go through. They totally overlook it. And some people are even so busy seeking validation from others that they don't even pay attention to what they should be doing. The Bible continually tells us we go all the way back into Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is at the beginning of the Bible. It talks about um, that we should not be discouraged. Follow the leading, the life and love, our Lord 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So Satan tries to get us discouraged. He tries to get us seeking the validation of man, which is definitely not where we need to be. The validation of man is nothing. It is nothing. We like people to like us. We like people to want to be with us or share with us and all that. But if you put your import in that above that of God, shame on you. And if you fall into that occasionally, I'm going to share that tripping and falling is not a bad thing. And God is not going to condemn you for that. But don't stay down there. David fell. David always was falling toward God though. And a lot of people point their finger at that. Why would God, what about, oh my gosh, God! I can't believe that God allowed David to, and I can't believe that God allows. That's none of your business. God does not require your validation stamp on anything that he does. God is sovereign over everything. He called David a man after his own heart. David fell. David knew that he was weak. But read the Psalms. What did David always go back to? David always went back to God. Always returned to God. Always went back to God. Always went back. Psalm 8, verse 3. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him. On the Son of Man, that thou visited him, for thou hast made him a little flower, a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. (coughs) Incidentally, that's a messianic prophecy. Way back in David's time, almost a thousand years before Jesus Christ was coming to be born. Jesus came to this earth. He stepped off the throne in heaven that he sat on. He came down. Yes, he was the only begotten son of God and could have called legions of angels to come and destroy this world and set him free. But he did not do so. He went to Calvary. He was crucified for our sakes. He died, bled, so that we could be cleansed, redeemed, and saved. (coughs) Pardon me. I'm going to go and be in this thing, Regula Fidele, Rule of Faith. I love that. Just like I like my other word, Phariseeism, those who practice Phariseeism. I love that um, saying, but I love that, uh, regula fidele, rule of faith, forward and back. And this Sunday was, um, and you know, it may have been happening all around me, and I wasn't paying attention too much. And as a younger man, I was just in church waiting for the sermon to get over, especially as as a high school kid, just waiting to get done, get out, get gone, go home. And uh wasn't too concerned with whether or not Regula Fidele, the rule of faith, was being adhered to or not. didn't matter. Now I love the fact that you can go through the Bible, God's Word, His truth, His knowledge, His wisdom. You can go through the Bible and you find everything intermeshed with the Old Testament New Testament. That was very profound and... Learning from Jamie this weekend, Dr. Jamie Miller, my pastor, who incidentally is. I have to take a moment. There's things that go on with our pastors. We must remember whether you go into my church, your church, whose church, it doesn't matter. It's God's house as long as you've tried the spirit before you step across that threshold you know that it's a place that the holy spirit and god approves of if not then you turn around and you find you a different place but the the pastor of wherever you're going to church who's ever teaching needs your prayers we must keep them in our prayers they require strength i shared with you that it's a Almost an occupational hazard to constantly be fighting and battling against discouragement. How, can you can you only imagine, brothers and sisters? He shared this Sunday was an awesome message, an awesome message, and it to me the rule of faith was hugely apparent in this thing here with the scriptures that. ...was shared going through from Deuteronomy... ...the same all the way into... ...Romans... ...and back and forth... ...and one of the things he was saying in closing... ...is that you're looking back to learn... ...the repetition... ...of God's grace, love, and mercy... Every single scripture that you look back into, and you look back into, we're going to go all the way back into Deuteronomy. Got to go back into Deuteronomy. We're going into Deuteronomy 6 4 is what he was sharing, and I'm going to share. That's so cool. I I love this. I'm not going through all these. But in Deuteronomy 6 4, (coughs) hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, Hashem, what they call Him, Hashem, Lord thy God. Lord our God is one Lord, our Jehovah, Abba Yahweh, maker of all things made. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Who? Hold on just one moment there. Do you remember that that was spoken from who? The only begotten Son of God. Jesus spoke those very words when he was sharing about love. And loving thy neighbor, thou shalt love thy Lord, thy God, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And then what was he doing? He was teaching the Pharisees. When the one tried to trap him, they always were trying to do that. But remember the question asked: so What's the first commandment, or what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus' response exactly what is said here. Where is this? This is in the book of Deuteronomy, verse number six or chapter six, and reading through and verse four and five. And Jesus spoke the same word to that viperous individual and told him, "What do you say? It is well to love God with all." To love the Lord, the God. And the second would be that you love your neighbor as you love God. Jesus spoke this very thing to them. Of course he did, because he is the word, the word made flesh. He was with God from the beginning. Of course he could say that. But you see what I'm, uh, you understand what I'm saying? It intertwines, it weaves within. You go from the front to the back. And you do that and you will find that the word of God is full of things like this. This one right here. Jesus spoke this to the Pharisees. This very thing. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy might and your mind. He's in your mind repeatedly. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. In the spirit. Keep it in your heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk them to, of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as, if, as frontlets between your eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house, and on thy gates." He's telling us to remember. This is in the book of Deuteronomy, brothers and sisters, the book of Deuteronomy. And Jesus was speaking these words to the Sanhedrin when he was speaking in front of them. He said the very same thing. The rule of faith, forward and backwards. And it comes from Jesus. It comes from our teaching in the word. And it's important, brothers and sisters, that we remember the rule of faith, to read the Bible, study the Bible, front to back, back to front. These teachings are there. I mean, this is just one obvious point for me, and then you can find more continuing through. And uh, as... Jamie was sharing with us and in, in, uh, then you go from Deuteronomy you go to 1 Samuel 1 Samuel 8 and 4 so they're talking about the learning and the teaching so in 1 Samuel 8 4 through 21, you're talking about the elders coming, uh, talking to Samuel, and there were judges over Israel. Because you have to remember that there was a time in the history of Israel where they didn't have kings, they didn't have a king, they had judges. And one of the judges over Israel was Samuel. And they came to Samuel because. that, hey, Samuel, you're getting old. Your children are not following your ways. And we want a king. We want a king like all the other nations. We want something that everybody else has. But here's the problem. Here's a very important point that was... So pardon a slight interruption. I'm trying to learn how to do this. I wish I could figure out how to pause it and hopefully there's no interruption show in between but when the nation of Israel go, comes to Samuel and they are crying how old he's getting and and uh, there's a time in the history of of the nation of Israel where they had judges they didn't have kings and then they came demanding they wanted a king like everybody else had a king we want something like everybody else has and here's what I gather from this mission then they were they were talking and and this um, you know, where he was trying to warn them. He said, you know, if you do this thing and you demand this king, like everybody else has, and you want one because they have one, you have to be careful. You have to be cautious because what you're asking for may be not what you actually want. So, we have to remember brothers and sisters that this thing that we ask for may not be what we want what I gathered from this is exactly how we are today this is exactly how we are today we want something because somebody else has it we want something because someone else has put their validation on it and it's a good thing Really, that's why, and not because it is a good thing, but because somebody else said it was, and that they endorse it and they they validated it and not even going to bother talking to God about it and brothers and sisters this is a very hard thing that we have to learn about, but This is what the word of God is for. It leads us, it teaches us, pardon me, and that we have to abide by this instruction manual. The Lord puts things in here for us to find. He puts things in here for us to learn and teach. It's our guidebook. It's our roadmap through this life, as you will. But if you go through the Bible and you study according to the rule of faith, front to back, back to front, you will find that everything is there that we need. We don't need to be comparing ourselves to somebody else. And this is, uh, I I love this uh, analogy, this illustration that, that he shared, and it was actually kind of I found it humorous. So, in order to drive an automobile, and actually, from the way I've witnessed that some do, that they need to go to special schooling for this, but in order to drive an automobile, you don't require a mechanical degree. You are not required to know the inner workings and how the combustion engine functions, although you should have a enough so that you know if something's going wrong and and you have a breakdown, you can kind of figure out what's happening and call for tow or whatever, or you don't just keep driving the car and pushing the car until it explodes or it breaks apart. And there are individuals that do that. That's what I alluded to. Um, But you don't need a degree in order to operate a motor vehicle. Some motor vehicles you need special schooling for so here's the thing, too, and this is what I've shared with you before. You don't have to have a theological degree to share the gospel of God our Father and the gospel of Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. You don't need a theological degree in order to do that. You want to go farther into that realm, and you want to teach further into the word of God, and you want to make sure that you're not being mm, in error, and that you're not teaching falsely, as there are many that do, and they do not concern themselves with that, which they ought to concern themselves with that, because they will ultimately have to pay for that. So you're not required, in order to share the gospel, which many of you need to get up off your lazy so-called Christian hind ends, put that lever on the recliner chair, go over there and push that big stone that you've put across the front of your tomb and get out into the light of his glorious day and share his word. Yes, I'm robbing, as you will, uh, verses and songs. Step out into his glorious day come out of that tomb, that grave that you put yourself in. Yeah, go to church, if you go at all, because your spouse, whether it be husband or wife, goes and takes the kids, and you crawl into that little cave and pull the stone over there, and you don't come out of that chair or that easy chair get up off the couch or wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, until they come home and she gets ready to fix dinner or he gets ready to fix dinner, however it works in your house, doesn't make any difference. The point that I'm making is that you're closing yourself off and you're not following what we're supposed to be doing. Sharing the gospel. And you don't need a theological degree in order to do that. And he also shared much as I shared from that other reading, he was sharing about the closer we are drawn to God, the more our weaknesses are exposed. Because here's the thing that we have to remember, though. In the word of God, in our weakness is his strength. And when we come to that point, that we can become expo- exposed to really heavy white noise interference. This happened with the nation of Israel. They came close to God and then the white noise interference and instead of hearing and listening and obeying in the love of God, what did they do? They turned and they griped and they whined and they hollered and belly ached about these things. But here's the thing. The closer our walk to God, our weakness is exposed, and we allow that, but we lay it at God's feet because when we do that, God becomes our strength. He knows that we're weak. What was that song I used to sing, and of course I, I'm going to change the wording a little bit. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. How do I know? For the Bible tells me so. I am weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. And that was a song that we used to, we were taught in uh, in the uh, Bible school, Sunday school, before, you know, the adults were in regular church, we were in Sunday school, we were learning. And We have things to study through in the Bible. God takes us through. And we can see that we have so many things that we look for and that we can find, and it's interwoven through things. We go back to the the Old Testament and it prophesies about the coming of God. We have things that are in the Old Testament, and we have prophets that have prophesied about Jesus. Jesus' coming, his appearance, what it would be like. And um, we have in 6, we have a prophecy of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 6. I'll start in verse number nine and he said go and tell this people hear ye indeed but understand not and see ye indeed but perceive not make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. And you say, wait a minute, how's that talking about Jesus Christ? Were you not paying attention to that word? And this is what Jesus used to do to the Pharisees. This is called parabolic speech this word that God was speaking to his prophet to come and speak to the nations, it's parabolic speech, but they're talking here because they're not hearing with spiritual hearing or seeing with their spiritual eyesight. They don't understand. They're not leaning in and hearing what the spirit of the Lord is saying. But it's talking about how he will come and they will be converted and healed talking about the coming of Jesus and you have another you have in verse 7 you have you have another And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to worry men, but will be ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. What did the angel of the Lord tell Mary? He shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. God in us, Jesus, Emmanuel, bar Joseph. I remind you again that Christ is not part of his name, not like a first, middle, and last name. Jesus, Emmanuel, bar Joseph, son of Joseph. Jesus, Emmanuel, Christ means anointed of God. You have verses Isaiah spoke, prophesied. He was a prophet of God. And he spoke of the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, Believe if I do my mathematical calculations and things going on, this is almost almost a thousand years before the birth of Christ. 700 years anyway. Plus or minus more hundred years. But before the birth of Christ, Isaiah was prophesying and talking about it. Talking about the power of Jesus Christ and that Jesus was coming. And he talks about, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and the branch shall grow out of the roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Abba Yahweh. Hmm, The enemy comes to attack. Bring the distraction. In the name of the Lord. Thank you, Father God, for this opportunity. So, <clears throat> as I was saying, I'm hoping that this works right. I'm not sure if I'm doing it correctly or not, but <clears throat> the enemy is really trying to get me to interfere with this and the, the rule of faith and the prophecy of Jesus Christ. But at any rate, in uh, Isaiah 11, it talks again about the prophecy of Jesus Christ, his power and his authority as I was reading from the beginning of chapter 11. um, And it talks about, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Now, what he's talking about is not by hearsay, not what he hears, but, but what he sees, observes, and he knows, but still in that, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity, for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. So this is talking about the coming of Jesus Christ. And you have Isaiah 9, 7, I believe that is what I had marked. Ah yeah. Uh, it's talking about Jesus Christ, another that Isaiah has shared, another prophecy, and where he's called the counselor, the mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The Lord of hosts, the captain of the hosts of heaven. Who is that? That is Jesus Christ. Remember, you go back and Joshua was heading down to the valley of Jericho and he saw one opposing him with his sword drawn. And he was like, hmm, who is this guy? He says, hey, are you for us or are you for the adversaries? The man simply responded to Joshua, nay. Just simply no, not for, on anybody's side. The Lord of the hosts of heaven or the captain of the hosts of heaven takes no side. Joshua knew immediately that he was being confronted by Jesus Christ. He threw himself down on the ground and was instructed to remove his sandals because he is on holy ground. If you remember any encounters with any of the angels, they never instructed them to do that. Whenever somebody threw themselves down on the face and started crying, Lord, 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 they said, no, no, no. So that is for the God only I am a messenger. So, these words that Isaiah spoke in prophecy to the coming of Jesus Christ, you can find in in Isaiah forty-two. Goes through. This is almost what I, I can't remember the the year, the date, but it's uh, we're talking about almost a thousand years before Jesus came. The prophet Isaiah is talking about his coming. So brothers and sisters looking to and fro, in Isaiah forty one ten he tells us fear thou not, for I am with thee, be not dismayed, for I am thy God, I will strengthen thee, yea I will help thee, yea I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God promises to be with us. This is the important thing is that we have to hold on to the promises of God, our Savior. We have, I wrote in my sidebar here, in Isaiah 42, then if you go to Matthew 4, 12 through 18... gonna jump over here. You have to recall, brothers and sisters, that you go to and fro, the notations, whatever notes you make on the side, but everything is interwoven. And that everything that is in the past in the Bible is for us to look back on and to learn. It is, one might say that it's uh, repetitious. You could say, but here's, like I shared with you already, it must be really important if it bears repeating If God is reminding us and telling us again about something, it must be very important for us to know. And, brothers and sisters, we just have to stay in faith, in the Word, in His truth, and we have to stay in faith. Keep the faith, brothers and sisters. Keep the faith. It's, it's a very important thing for us to keep that. For God is faithful. God promises never to leave us nor forsake us. And we have to remember to, um, I'm going to go into the book of Malachi. These prophets, Malachi being a lesser prophet, and who declared that? The prophet of God, he brought the word of God as it was told to him, But here he's talking about, Malachi is talking about um, the prophecy of Jesus Christ coming. And John, behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Malachi is talking about the coming of Jesus Christ, but here too is he reminds us of the promises, his consistency, and talks about. And I've shared this word with you before: the immutability. For I am the Lord; I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God has not changed from the first time that he gave the promise until this time that he continues, and he's the same. God's love does not change. God's knowledge, his wisdom, his grace, his mercy, he doesn't get up one morning out of sitting and watching, because remember, God does not sleep, nor does he slumber. He watches always, always cares for us, guides us. He doesn't just get up one day. Say, you know what? I changed my mind. I'm going to let this happen. I'm going to allow that to happen. And it doesn't change. He loves us. One thing that he, if you remember that he repented for creation because we proved to be so despicable and he flooded the earth, except that he had Noah to be the new seed, and to allow that to take place, and saved all the animals. Well, <laughs> all the animals didn't do anything contrary to God. So why destroy them? all of them? You have some people that go. Well, I've heard this argument. Well, why did he have the animals go on there? Why didn't he just say the people and just make me <laughs> Really, God it just—it's not just wanting destruction. Man does that. Man grows into cruelty. Man does the harm to the animals. Man does the destructive things. Look around you in this world. Yeah, there's a lot of beautiful things to see, but truthfully, quit closing your eyes to what's out there in real life. There are people that just throw garbage. They'll walk right by a trash can and just throw garbage in the street. What kind of stewardship is that? Okay, there's nothing that we're gonna be able to do about it except just pick it up and throw it in the trash can. And my heart breaks when I see this. I mean, people will do that constantly. Or as I see during the course of my day at work, here's a a couple in a vehicle right up ahead of me. And what do they do is they're driving down the road. The one on the passenger side just has a window down and throws a great big giant styrofoam cup out the window and the driver, you can see his hand come up and over the top of the car, he throws his styrofoam cup out. Really? You can't just set that down on the floor and when you get home, throw it in your trash can or put it in the trash. But see, here's the thing. Here's the thing about that. Is it somebody else's job, not mine? And, uh, you know, I shared with you the other day. It's a job that anybody could do, could have done. Somebody should have done it. And maybe you would have done it but you weren't around or you didn't see it. So you didn't do it. And it didn't get done. That's very unfortunate. But that's the attitude of so many people. That's ah, not my job. I got mine done. I got, I got to go. That's not my assignment. That's not my job. It's not my job to share the word of God. It's not my job to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Lord God Almighty. That's not my job. That's a pastor's job. Excuse me. Let me correct you. The Bible tells us that it is ours and it's the only thing really that God asks us to do, to share the gospel. Do you not feel like that is part of something that you can give back? Because after all, we're talking about the Prince of Heaven, part of God, his only begotten Son, the Lord of Heaven, who helped create us, Let us make man in our image who carried the word with him from the beginning to the time that he was crucified and is the word still today, the truth. And he is that thing, that love in us, that kindness and compassion that we should have one for all. And you don't feel the least bit inclined to be able to share the truth with others so that they would have the opportunity to be saved, to be rescued, to be redeemed, to be have their sins paid for like Jesus did for you. If you're sitting in your little easy chair and in that little tomb, dark hole in your little hovel that you don't want to get out of because you're uncomfortable. You have a speech impediment. You have a cleft palate. You can't do this. You can't do that. But every excuse under the sun that you can give to God. See, Moses tried that and was still sent to Egypt. So, remember this, brothers and sisters, that God is great. God is good. He is our good, good father. Jesus Christ came. The least you can do is... Go out and give others the opportunity to have what is given to those that accept Jesus Christ. Repentance, salvation, and going to heaven. Don't be stingy with it. Get out and share it. You're in my prayers. How am I going out? How am I coming in? And this nation needs healing. Pray for this nation. of individuals who are just they're just satisfied with sitting back and letting whatever's going to happen happen but remember this that this nation at one time was one nation under god